Good morning. Please open your Bible to Isaiah 9. When you find that, please stand. We are in the midst of a four-week series focused on the person of Jesus Christ. What Isaiah the prophet said about him before he came to earth. And my goal, my goal today is that we would see Jesus as so great and awesome that we would see Jesus in all his glory, that we would be so magnificent and compelling that we would want to worship him with all our hearts, that we would, out of sheer joy for the sheer magnitude of his grace, that we would want to follow him with every fiber of our being. My goal is that we would, we, that we would proclaim all praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be so enthralled with him that we would, we would know him and we would say, wow, I have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for his glory alone. So we're going to read Isaiah 9. We're going to read verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Lord God, we thank you that your zeal is what accomplishes your will. We thank you, Lord, that we could be here today. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to to think deep thoughts of you. Lord, change our hearts that we would have tender hearts and receptive spirits to receive from you what only you can give. And we will be careful to honor you alone. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our lives and our families and our friendships and really the entire world gets mind-bogglingly complex. In fact, I thought I would probably mangle that word. Boggingly. Boggingly. Because it's not in the dictionary. It's it's the fact that things get so complex, like you make up words that really don't make sense. See, life can be hyper-complicated. That's kind of what happens in our lives. Things get so complicated, we can't, we can't figure it out. We're unable to explain the unexplainable and the, the shocking. How about just the other day? mass murder someone coming in and killing innocent people and it didn't just happen in one place it happened in many places in the world two notable places and then we're unable to understand even the sin that crushes our own soul the sin that drags us down the sin that we get caught up in and we feel trapped we feel cornered we feel disoriented And if it weren't for Jesus, if if we didn't have hope in Jesus, we would be crushed under the weight of 
insurmountable circumstances. You think about Sandy Hook Elementary. You think about parents' worst fears being realized. You think about grief. And we always, on an ongoing basis, find ourselves asking why. Why did this happen? How could this happen? And, and what should we do? We're at a loss to explain. We, we don't know. We live in a world where men take life into their own hands. From Connecticut to every street in every town of every location, abortion providers take life into their own hands on a daily basis. Foreign dictators take life into their own hands on a daily basis. And what we see is mankind playing God. Mankind playing God on a daily basis. It's a depraved world. It is a sinful, fallen, depraved world in which we live. And the complications are due to our sin. It's it's not hard for us to figure that out. All of us who know Romans 3.23 know that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we, we know that. And really the only thing we can say is, Father, forgive us. Have mercy on us. In the midst of unspeakable, in the midst of unbearable, in the midst of grief, it's often beyond words, in the midst of complex tragedies, in the midst of complex life, daily life situations, Christians must speak because God has spoken. God has spoken to us in His Word. God has given us truth that we need. So in the midst of the anguish of our souls due to many, many things, we hear the words of Isaiah 9-6 once again. And a child will be born to us. It's God's grace giving us what we don't deserve. A son will be given. He will be God. He will be man. He will have a government. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be able to shoulder the load because he is Lord. The dominion will be His, and the kingdom will be His, and there will be a total reigning of this king, but now we have this invisible kingdom where only those who acknowledge Christ as Lord are under His rule. And His name shall be called. His name will be known as something. His his character will be known, and His attributes will be recognized and, and realized and responded to. His people will know Him as something that He will be to them a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and an everlasting Father and a Prince of Peace. Over the past two weeks, we have seen Jesus as the wonderful counselor and mighty God. The wonderful counselor who tells us what we need to hear. The mighty God who gives us the power to curb our tendency to create chaos. Today we're focusing on really the most complex of the four titles, the the trickiest of the four titles, the truth that Jesus is everlasting Father, that Jesus, the Messiah, is everlasting Father who brings comfort in life's complexities. That's what he does. He makes sense of things we can't understand because he knows all things. Now the son, being a father, 
would seem surprising, just like a child being a counselor and a mighty God. So what does it mean that Jesus is everlasting Father? What is Isaiah saying? What is God saying through this prophet? Well, let me make one thing clear right from off the bat, what it is not saying, what it doesn't mean. The use of Father here in Isaiah 9, 6 doesn't mean God the Father. The Son is not the Father. There is not some new doctrine being given that now the Son is the Father. They are equal with different roles. When Isaiah calls Jesus the everlasting Father, he does not deny the Trinity. Some who deny the Trinity have gone to this verse and said, See? There is a distinction between the person of God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Just take the Apostles' Creed. It makes it very clear that what we believe is what the Bible clearly teaches. That we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And His kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. And with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. That's what we believe. So it is wrong to take this phrase, everlasting Father, the wrong way to mean that Jesus is God the Father. It's used in a different way here. It's used in a different way than Trinitarian. So what does it mean? What does everlasting Father mean? What does Jesus being the everlasting Father mean? Well, I think it becomes very simple if you just switch the order of these two words, everlasting Father. Switch them and it becomes Father of Eternity. And that's really the literal meaning of this phrase everlasting father literally means father of eternity so jesus is the father of eternity that's going to help make things clear for us and how jesus can be the everlasting father he it's the idea of him being the leader of eternity the the manager of eternity the coach of eternity the king of eternity it's similar to how we say that in america that washington is the father of our country Or that Jefferson is the father of the Constitution. Now you could say that the title points to Jesus as king. And it does. But that would almost be too simplistic. Because we know he is the king of kings. But he is so much more than even the word king implies. So to help you get a handle on that, to help us get a handle on this, I want to explain it further and describe him as the father of eternity. To describe Jesus as this father of eternity. First, we need to look at the Hebrew word for father. The Hebrew word for father, ab. And we know this word, abba. But the word ab is one of the most complex words. It has multiple nuances, kind of like the multiple facets of a diamond. 
So being the everlasting Father, or more accurately, the Father of eternity, means that as such, Jesus fulfills several roles. First of all, He is the creative author of eternity. He's the creative author of, et- of all things. The Hebrew has the idea of, of the, or being the originator, the, the inventor, the creator. One of the things this statement um, refers to is the fact that Jesus created everything. We see this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by Him all things were created that are in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And by Him all things exist. So the Father of Eternity speaks of His coming, the purpose of His coming in relation to time, forever. He is before all things, above all things, beyond time. He possesses eternity. He is the Creator. And He is the one that brings about the new creation. Because he owns eternity, he can give us eternal life. 1 John 5.11 says this is, this is the, the testimony that God has given believers eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you don't have eternal life with Christ. Anyone who is in Christ, anyone who is believing in Christ, anyone who is, has come to faith in Christ is a new creature, a new creation of God, being transformed into His image. So He is the creative author. He is the originator of life and faith and eternity. He is, is the inventor of life. He, he came up with the whole idea. He is the inventor of faith. He is the inventor of this, this thing we call eternity that we can't get our minds around because we are so bound to time. And as a result, there is a response that is, that is absolutely required on our part, and that is for us to worship Him. For us to worship this creative author of all things. To brag about Him. To, to tell how awesome He is. Now, often earthly kings would demand worship. They would tell their subjects, they would insist that, to their subjects that they acknowledge them as God, which is idolatrous. But here we are talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the only one who is worthy of worship. So some people ask for inappropriate adoration. Some people give inappropriate adoration. They adore something made by humans to the point of worship. But it's always appropriate to worship Jesus. It's always appropriate to adore Him. It's like a child with a good father. With a good God-honoring father. You love Him so much, you talk about Him. You talk about your dad. In fact, when I was a kid, we'd always say, Well, my dad is awesome. He can beat up your dad. My dad can take your dad. Of course, those fights never occurred. They were just kind of imaginary bragging points, talking points. The other day I was in a public place and I was approached by 
two people wearing these organizational t-shirts and they had an agenda they had a political agenda and they were able in 60 seconds or less to tell me all about it and if i was inclined i would have given them money they were all about how there are poisons and toxins in our clothes and they want me to give money to help uh get those things out like buy some tide you know but i turned and said to this person i said well you know I'm all about helping people get the toxins out of their souls. You need to have Jesus. You need to have him forgive you. And he's like, well, you know, you need to forgive yourself first. And I said, actually, no. You need to uh, allow Jesus to forgive you, and then you'll be able to forgive yourself and other people. He was a bit surprised. I'm not even that good at that, and I was able in less than 60 seconds to state my case. You know, I think that every Christian should be able to state the case for Christ in 60 seconds or less. Now, that's just my arbitrary time frame. But if you can't say it in that short of a period, do you really want to take a whole hour and explain something that you can't sum up in one minute? I know someone who has a gospel glove. You know what those are? It's a glove. If I had one, I would wear it today. It's got, uh, it's got these colors in it and it's got a, a, a golden um, finger and it's a, a, about heaven and it's it's the it's the it's the wordless book basically you know and y- you know we're our hearts are dark with sin but but uh, Jesus died for our sins there's the red the red finger and it's and he 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 substituted himself for us and when we come to faith in him we we're washed clean from our sins there's the white one and and then he wants us to grow I think there's a green one I think there's a blue one and there's all sorts of colors but you could use that. You know, I was thinking, and this is cheesy, and I was told not to say it, but I'm going to anyway, is, you know, ladies could even paint their fingernails the color of the, that, you know, gospel. You could share the gospel while you're talking to your friends, you know? How come you have those colors? Well, let me tell you. I don't know. All I can say is be as creative as you can, and if you are in love with your Savior, if you're in love with the creator, of, author of all things, you will want to worship him, and part of your worship will be telling others about him. You will not keep that to yourself. You will be excited to share that news. You will, someone asked me last night, they said, what's the most daring thing you ever did? I said, well, I was getting on a plane and going to, to um, New Guinea all by myself and uh, meeting up with some missionary friends. But then I thought about it and I thought, you know, the most daring are the most sharing. The most daring people I know are the ones who share their faith the most often and they take risks to do so. Do you think the person I talked to the other day in a couple minutes liked me when I walked away? No, they were a bit surprised. They wouldn't even shake my hand. And I was kind. I was smiling. I was friendly. In all circumstances, reverent love for an amazing Savior respectful adoration that's mary you know mary has become probably my favorite besides jesus of course he's he's the given my favorite christmas character besides jesus mary i love mary's response look at luke 1 luke 1 verse 46 mary sings the song mary mary gives beautiful words regarding what god has done and she she's giving these words in in the midst of situa- uh, circumstances that were shocking and that most people 
would be reeling from. What did she say? How did she respond? You say, well, but she's Mary. Well, you know what? She was a common, common girl in that time. God chose her by His grace. What did she say? Well, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. I'm going to make Him great. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble state of His servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed because He who is mighty... Do you see the things she's saying about Him? I'm going to magnify Him. I'm going to rejoice in Him because He is mighty and He has done great things for me. And then she says, holy is His name. Holy is His name. And then she speaks of His mercy. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And that's not all. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things. This is Mary pouring out her heart to God in the midst of a very unsettling circumstance. She wasn't supposed to be pregnant at that point in her life. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is Mary. She had many reasons. She was coming up with many reasons to worship God. What are some reasons we have to worship the Father of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he created the world. He upholds the world. He holds the world together. He died for our sins. He took our place. He gives us, he gives all those who come to faith in him eternal life. And he promised to return, that we would be with him forever. So he is the creative author of all things. The originator of life and faith and eternity, and we must worship him. Let me give you another picture of Jesus as the father of eternity. Not only the creative author of all things, but the faithful sustainer of all things. That all all he has made is sustained by him. Because the Hebrew word for father also has this idea of guardian and benefactor. And it has this idea of strength and support. He holds us up. Kind of like suspenders. Maybe some of you are wearing suspenders around Christmas time. And it's kind of a fashion statement now, but they used to be used to hold up pants. Maybe it's almost like a belt or an elastic band that never fails. Someone told me not to say this, but it's almost like the magic girdle. Keeps things all together. I can tell some of you know what that is. Not by looking, just by hearing you laugh. He's kind of like a spiritual suspension bridge. Uh, He's holding everything up, and we don't know how he's doing it, but he is. Because as the faithful sustainer of all things, all that he has made, he provides for his own. He he protects his own. He, He prepares his own. He has concern for the helpless. He has compassionate love. Do you remember Jesus when he looks over Jerusalem and he sees that they're distressed and downcast with like sheep without a shepherd? He even says, I, I wanted so many times to gather you. He's eternally like a father to his people. And this is not a statement about the Trinity, but about the character of our Lord. All that a good father is, God is to, that Jesus is to his people. He cares. A godly father figure is a good thing. 
What does a godly father figure do? Well, he teaches his family the Bible. He prays with his family. He, he cares for them. He provides for them. He, he protects them. He, he makes sacrifices for them. He shows his love in many ways. Well, Jesus is like a, a father to his children in that he is a faithful sustainer. And therefore, we should trust him courageously. We should trust him with all our hearts. We should trust. I know that's so easy to say. Well, you should trust him. You should obey him. You should love him. But we know where our hearts go. We know how bitter our hearts get. We need to be receptive to God. We need to be receiving joyfully what he provides every day. Again, Mary. Mary, Luke chapter 1, verse 38 She receives the news. She receives the news that she is going to bear the Son of God. She's not married yet. She's not supposed to be pregnant yet. And she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. I love what David Whitehead says about this. He says, Mary shows great courage in this statement, for the angel Gabriel had just told her that she is about to become pregnant with the Son of God. As an unwed teenager, this would surely mean a life of disgrace. As a poor girl from Nazareth, Mary probably has no financial means to take care of her child. Her trust has to be completely in the fact that God chose her, and so he must take care of her. The Christmas story, he says, is one of trust in God even in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. Simple trust in a loving, holy God. He is a faithful sustainer. And he's not only, as father of eternity, he's not only the creative author and the faithful sustainer, he is also its righteous overseer. He is the righteous overseer of all things. He is the righteous overseer of everything he has made. The Hebrew word, again, for father, has this idea of being a ruler, of being the head, of being a chief, of being the Lord, of being the master, of being the teacher, of being the counselor, the advisor. Jesus mentors us. If you, are, if you know Jesus, you are in a discipling relationship with him. Jesus is discipling you. He is mentoring you. He's coaching you. Now, some rulers are unjust, but he is always just. He is always righteous. And if you think about it, Adam was our our head, our federal head with regard to sin. Jesus, though, is our head with regard to salvation. Jesus is our ruler, our head, our chief, our Lord, our master with regard to salvation and all of life. He is the one who counsels us. He is the one who comforts us. He is the one even who corrects us because he loves us. He shows us the way because he is the way. He gives sweet comfort in a time of pain. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. His comfort is great. He is called the God of all comfort. He says in Matthew 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13 tells us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Sometimes we feel forsaken. Sometimes we feel left out in the cold. Sometimes we feel alone. But that isn't the case. We could say with the psalmist in Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if you read that psalm, he comes to the place where he acknowledges, God, you never did forsake me. You always have been with me. I just felt that way. 
His great love leads him to discipline his children. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Revelation 3.19. He rules. Look at Isaiah 9.7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, on the throne of David, and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it. He is going to hold it up. He is going to make it happen. And Jesus is that Davidic king. Jesus is the king that was promised. And because of that, we need to trust him. That simple trust. And then obey him. Do what he says. Tear down any walls of resistance that we might have in our hearts. And the basis of our obedience is the sovereign goodness of God. Because he is good, we want to obey. So we go back to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Mary is receiving news. And part of this news is assurance. Part of this news is, here's what's going to happen. The angel says to Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. He's saying, God, God is good and God has good purposes for you. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus because he will be great the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and of his kingdom there will be no end and Mary obeys the, the command that sh- to not be afraid Mary obeys what God has said because he is good and he had good purposes in mind even if everyone else who looked upon her thought that she was even immoral and Christ's rule follows the pattern of divine fatherhood he gives wise counsel some dads will lead you astray Jesus will never lead you astray he comforts you when you're hurting some dads say oh you know don't cry sometimes I do that with my youngest she'll fall down in a game and I'll be the coach and all the parents who have their firstborn playing will be thinking this is a very insensitive dad he's not rushing onto the field and making a big deal about her getting hurt I'm like I've seen this happen five other times she's all right She's going to live. And I'll pat her on the back. Hey, you'll be all right. Now I've learned I need to give her comfort as well. Sophie does get comfort. We need to obey him because he is the one who counsels us and corrects us and even calms us in those moments when we are inconsolable. When the grief has taken over. When the discouragement has set in. He is the one who counsels and comforts and even even corrects. One last thing I want to mention about Jesus as the father of eternity. Yes, he is the creative author of of all things. Yes, he is the, um, the, the faithful sustainer of all things. And yes, he is the righteous overseer of all things. But he's also the perfecting finisher. The perfecting finisher of all things, of his works. Because this Hebrew word for father has this idea too of continuity, of continuity between generations, of constancy. And so it's like, it's like Jesus is the skilled artisan that is working on this work of art that is your life. And it might not look pretty right now, and it might not be even comfortable right now, but there is something that he is working, there is, a, there is something he is orchestrating that is going to be a thing of beauty in the future. 
Because he is not only the author of our faith, but as Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, he is the, the finisher of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. That's why Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He's not done with you yet. You're not a throwaway. He's got something in mind that is going to be good, even if you can't see it right now. He is the perfecting finisher. He has this purpose and he exercises patience in the process. We want it right now. We like to put our meals in microwaves because we want the food now. But crock pot cooking is always tastier. Some people quit. Some people will say, you know, I can't go any farther. I'm just going to throw in the towel. God never quits. There are some artisans that quit. You know, there's unfinished paintings and incomplete statues all over the world. God never quits. He's always conforming us to the image of His Son. He is always changing us into who He wants us to be. And sure, fathers want to see progress in their kids. And when it doesn't happen, there, there is um, disappointment. Jesus wants to see his family progressing towards godliness. God expects and equips and enables that. He's orchestrating that. So if you are in Christ, you will grow in depth and breadth. Kind of like a soldier when he returns from boot camp. You're like, wow, what happened to him? He's been working hard. He's lost what is not necessary. He has gained what he needs well in christ you lose what is not necessary and you gain what can't be taken away that's why paul was able to say i count all things as loss the surpassing value of knowing christ jesus my lord he says for me to live for me to die excuse me for me to, to live in christ and to die is gain therefore we should cooperate with him he is the perfecting finisher let's let's let him work on us how are children to respond to their father? Well, they, they worship him, they love him, they obey him, they, they trust him. They cooperate. They go along with what is said. That's why Paul said, you need to be working together with him. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. But too often I find myself complaining about my circumstances. I even find myself complaining about my self-inflicted, too busy life. I've done that way too much. My life is filled with really good gifts from God and I start to resent some of those really good gifts because it's just... Maybe too taxing on my, on my puny brain. I don't know. But interestingly, go back to Mary for a moment. There is no record of Mary complaining. Luke 1, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So her older relative Elizabeth, who shouldn't have been pregnant either because she was beyond that age, she said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then she said, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. She has believed this. She did believe it. And she cooperated with God's plan. Do you think that Mary and Elizabeth might have been encouraged when they saw one another? You think, humanly speaking, neither one of them was supposed to be pregnant? That they witnessed a miracle of God in each other?
You know, even when we know that what we are doing is what God wants us to do, we need the community of faith to help us keep going. We cannot go alone. Encouragement floods your soul when others in Christ confirm what God is doing in your life. Be it painful, be it joyful. And we can be a source of encouragement to others. We cooperate with God in community with kindred spirits. And by the way, how will this all come about? All these things that that Jesus is, how did this happen? Look at the very last phrase of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. It all comes about because of the zeal of the Lord of hosts. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, it says, will do this. So how did all this come about? It came about by God's zeal. What is zeal? Well, we know it's kind of extreme enthusiasm, right? Well, the, I, the, the, the word zeal in Hebrew comes from a, a word that basically means to become intensely red. It's, it's like when you get really upset and your face gets red. It's the, with the color flooding a person's face because they have deep emotion within. They get all red in the face. In the Bible, it's spoken of a husband's jealousy over his wife. In the Bible, it's spoken of envy that drives effort. In the Bible, it's, it's spoken of love between a bride and groom. But this human word, zeal, says something about God and says something about Jesus, the Father of eternity. It describes His passion for our salvation. I like the way one writer put it. He is on fire for the triumph of His grace. He is on fire for the triumph of His grace. Lord God, thank You for this time. Thank You, Lord, that You are who You say You are and that You are working for Your glory and our good. So we say, glory to God in the highest. And we say praise to the Lord Jesus Christ.